0: Good morning, church, and welcome to our neighbors. I'm real glad to be together with you. I'm trying to save myself some time, but I'm just distracted by it now. Um, It's a new week. Yeah, whatever whatever was going on last week, whatever burdens, whatever tests, whatever struggles, it's a new week. Now I'm, I'm also aware that means we've got new struggles, but. His mercy is new every day and I know I think it's just a fluke maybe that they still publish calendars with Sunday being the first day of the week but it is so helpful to me to think that Sunday's the beginning of a new week and that we can just start in the presence of God amongst one another and like that's just a gift to me and so as we begin um, we're going to pray together. It's our habit to pray the disciples prayer together and I just want to start there this morning. Um, This is not a magic prayer, it's not a magic spell or anything, Um, you're not going to glow in the dark if you pray it every day, but um, the attitudes that um, are helpful to us to connect with God are are kind of encapsulated in this, and it's helpful if we're going to pray it together to use the same words. So they're up on the screen. If you'd like to pray along with me out loud, I'd encourage you to do so. But at the very least, in the beginning of a brand new week, let's pause together, take a deep breath, and let's pray. and the glory forever amen we've been together in a series over the last couple of weeks just taking a look at our core values um, and wrestling with i have kind of joked wrestling with some real light topics of like why do we exist um you know what's our purpose what are we supposed to invest our lives into um, and as we've kind of dealt with some of those light topics, I was reminded this week as we, as we started that there's a whole book that really wrestles with these, uh, that really wrestles with these questions in a really intense and direct way. Um, and it's not one that we read a lot together on Sundays because it's a little bit sad. Um, so I'm just going to have you look together with me in Ecclesiastes chapter four as we begin, but I want you to, uh, maybe, maybe you don't even turn there, maybe just listen. Maybe just listen. I want to read you part of a verse. I want, to, I, want to, uh, I want to read you part of a verse because I think it's going to give us a little bit of like a portrait of an American, okay? Just I'm going to give you part of a verse. I'm in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I'm going to read part of verse 8. That doesn't look like the right verse. Where am I going? Okay. Wow, that's so strange. I don't, yeah, okay. Okay, Verse four. Uh, I'll just read verse four. We'll see what comes out. I don't know what we're doing. Um, Then I saw all the toil. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Then I saw all the toil and all the skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. No, that's not it. Okay, verse eight. Oh, I'm reading verse four. I'm in chapter four. I'm looking at verse four going, why does verse four look wrong? Because I'm looking for verse eight. Please forgive me. It's a new day. It's a new morning. All right, I'll try in verse 8. This was going to be really powerful, but I've lost you, so we'll just do it. Uh, So uh, one person. So this is a portrait, I think, portrait of an American, perhaps. One person who has no other. He is alone. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that, he, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? I, I saw a guy, and he was all alone. He was all by himself, but he never was satisfied with the stuff that he had. He just was constantly getting up and clocking, and he was, he was taking work home and just answering emails after everybody else was asleep. He was just constantly toiling and had nobody with him. He was all alone. I'm like, man, that just sounds too modern, doesn't it? This is thousands of years old. This is not a new problem. But, but this guy gives us, as he's wrestling with what is the meaning of life, why do we exist, he sees this portrait and says it's vanity, it's, it's vain, it's, it's vapid, it's, it's uh, going away quickly. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's a prevailing idea In our culture and it's one of those cultures that we just spend so much time swimming in we never pause to ask what the water is and it's this idea that I can like fulfill myself or I can be satisfied in myself I as an individual can can self-actualize and become everything I need and we've got here a, a, a portrait of an American or we've got a portrait of a man who has who is all alone working hard but all alone and this, this old wise guy looks back and says, yeah, that's a waste of time. It'd be better if there were somebody with them. I- individualism as, as, a con- as, as, a, as a philosophy may be helpful for the marketplace, but it leads for a really, really empty life. So as we have been talking, and how do we, how do we express some of these ideas as a church, we landed on this value, this core value that we journey together. Church is more than just a place to attend; it's a family to belong to. We grow when we follow Jesus together. Now, if you're paying attention, that's different words on the bottom than what um, than what's on the on, on the. The poster in the back or what's even in the in the brochures that we've printed out this is something that we've edited the language of here actually relatively recently trying to figure out like what's the best way to say this because really we're trying to address that that american individualism like i can i can get everything that i need all by myself i don't need nobody i don't want nobody i'm an independent woman whatever that is And like, no, like maybe we need one another. Maybe even before sin entered into the picture, even before the world was corrupted, maybe it was not good for us to be alone. So we journey together. Church is more than just a place to attend. It's more than just a Sunday morning. And if all you see of neighborhood church is Sunday morning, there's so much that you're missing out on. And, and this is just a week where God has, has blessed me to, to, to see the, the ways that he's working outside of, of this box in this hour. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I've already cried about it this morning. So, <laughs> so that's what we're going to be talking about together. We journey together. Now, what I'd like to do as we do that, you may have noticed that when we pray together, I call that the disciples' prayer. But most people call that something different. What do they call that? The Lord's Prayer. So what I want to do today is read with you together the Lord's Prayer. What I think is the Lord's Prayer. It's my opinion, but the disciples asked how do we pray, and he gave them that prayer. So that's theirs. I call that the disciples' prayer. But I want to look at uh, together the Lord's Prayer. So uh, I am going to ask you to turn to this one, and so I'll invite you, if you're ready, to open your Bibles. Bibles. Yeah. yeah. Open your Bibles to John chapter seventeen. You know what? I I thought about it this week, I was convicted. I I have been saying that's what happens when you let the youth run the soundboard, but that's what happens when you let the senior pastor run the youth group, right? (laughs) John chapter seventeen and if you want to follow along in the blue Bibles is on page eleven twenty eight. John chapter seventeen. Now, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of prayers that Jesus prays in the Bible, um, and so you could call any one of them the Lord's Prayer, um, but this is, I think, the most extensive prayer. It's the longest recorded prayer that we have, and it reveals the heart of Jesus in a way that uh, I think is unique among the Scriptures. Um, Now, we've talked already in this series how with the the letter of John or the the biography that John writes about Jesus's life. We've got um, 12 chapters that cover years, 30 years, um, and then you've got, you know, about the same number of chapters that cover mostly one night, basically three days. And so we're in this part of the, of the biography where everything has slowed down, and Jesus has taken this time to spend with his disciples the night that he was betrayed, that he was arrested, and he's going to his execution. He takes this time to say, I need to teach you guys some things before I go. You need to get this. And he closes that night with this prayer in John chapter 17. And I am not going to read it all because... If all the bible you get on Sunday if all the bible you get in your life happens on Sunday morning it's not enough. So I'm going to give you enough that you're thirsty for more so that you can read it on your own, all right? <clears throat> but John chapter 17, I want you to look as he's praying. I'll read the first 5 verses just to warm us up. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, "Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you." As Jesus prays, he opens up his prayer and says, God, the hour's come. Now's the time where I'm going to give you glory, where everything's going to make sense and it's all going to click together. He's uh, maybe in the garden praying this um, as they move around on this evening, and he prays, Father, glorify me as I have glorified you. Um, I want to give people eternal life, and the eternal life that I want to give them is that they know God. Eternal life is to know accurately, uh, intellectually perhaps, true things about God. Eternal life is not only to know it in your mind, but to move it down the 18 inches where it becomes part of your being, and to know him relationally, to be friends with God is eternal life, and it's a miracle that any of us gets it at all. So he says, I want to give people eternal life, and eternal life is this, that they know you. Um, and then he says this thing, and it, is, it has bugged me ever since I've ever since read it. It's, it's bothered me. This is what he says. He says, My mission is accomplished. Verse 4, do you see that? My mission is accomplished. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The, he hasn't been crucified yet. When I think of Jesus accomplishing a work on my behalf, I think of the cross. And he's not there yet, but he prays, Mission accomplished. you're not done yet We, we got we got some other things to do what are you what are you even saying what if what if Jesus came to teach people how they could know God and he's entrusted that to a group of 12 men and now he's saying I've given them everything I can give them I've concluded the teaching it's over now I just have to walk out this final thing to seal the deal. But the work over. is over. That, does that bug anybody up? Oh, yeah, okay, cool. It's not just me, all right. Um, it's just like, I thought, I thought, like, for all of the things that we want to, like, give God glory for, I don't think the thing that, that I get attached to is the fact that He finished the work which was discipling his disciples. And he did that before he went to the cross. He walked with them for years. He, they lived with him. They did road trips together. They laughed together. They had inside jokes. They had challenging conversations. He called them to the carpet. He called out sin. He rebuked them. He called them Satan. And now he's saying, I've done all of that. I have loved the ones that you've entrusted to me. Mission accomplished. Now glorify yourself, God. Scroll down to, to verse 8. He's praying now for his disciples. Judas has left. For I have given them the words that you gave me, verse 8, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So he's, he's praying specifically for the 11 that are with him. Judas has already left. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he's praying for the 11 that are with him and says, I'm not praying for the world. Of all other things that I could pray about on the night before I'm executed, I'm not praying for the world. Right now I'm praying for these 11. Because I've given them my word, and by your grace they have accepted that it was true. And they know where I came from. Okay? So he asks for something specific in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So he prays for three specific things for these 11 men. He says, don't take them home yet. Keep them in the world. Keep them here. Don't let them die. Don't let them off the hook. Keep them in the world. It is God's will that they would stay here, stay put, but protect them from their accuser. Protect them from the adversary. Protect them from the one who's going to try to drag them off and away. Keep them here, but protect them while they are under attack. That's not how my prayers go. My prayers go, stop the attack. Deliver me, like, take me home. Deliver me from this warfare. He says, no, 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 leave them on the battlefield, but protect them while they're taking fire. And he says, sanctify them. Sanctify is a fancy word that just means to set apart, and the fastest way I can tell you about sanctification is by talking about your toothbrush. You've got a toothbrush probably on your sink, and you probably have a very specific color um, because that is sanctified for your mouth. Maybe that's just our house. You guys might share. That's cool, too. (laughs) You've got another toothbrush typically kept under the sink. Either in the bathroom or in the kitchen, you've got a toothbrush that is sanctified for dishonorable use. We use that to scrub and clean grout and tile. And that one, you ain't going to put in your mouth. Okay? So sanctification is just being set apart, okay? So one thing is set apart for one thing. This one is set apart for my mouth only. And if my wife, even if my wife, and I will kiss her all day long, but if she uses my toothbrush, it's going in the garbage, okay? It is (laughs) sanctified for my mouth. And we've done that. We've had this conversation personally. That's not news to her. Um, (laughs) Sanctified. So he says, sanctify them in your truth. Great, Jesus says there's objective truth that we should be sanctified in it. We should be set apart by what we believe is true. And what is true? Your word. Set them apart by your word. Keep them here. Leave them on the battlefield. Protect them from enemy fire and set them apart by your word. What are we known for? What What do our neighbors know us for? Coffee. (laughs) Tim off the top (laughs) row. I got I got a joke, but I'm gonna skip that one. What are we known for? What do our neighbors know us for? How are how are we different? We're friendly. I I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. I've never been in a church that didn't think they were friendly. And I've been in some unfriendly churches that will be unfriendly to you and tell you they are friendly. Uh, now, I, think you're, I don't think you're wrong, but I'm biased. I know I'm biased. What are, how do our neighbors know us? Are we, what's that? Inviting. We're inviting. Okay. Loving. We feed them. Yeah, that's true. We do do that. We share the word. We share the word. Are we set apart by your word? Like, where do those friendly things come from? Where does that love come from? Where does that food come from? It comes from our heart. I think I, I, like, for real, like, I would not think to serve people food if Jesus didn't tell me that that was a way to love people well. And I didn't believe it, but I've seen God do it through you. I, I, y'all don't know how much credit I get for stuff that y'all do. People are like, this food is amazing. I'm like, I literally did nothing. I had no idea what was on the menu. I didn't bring anything. I didn't even buy any ingredients. I have no idea. But they have made this meal, and they just offer it to you freely because they love you. And, and, and our neighbors are thankful for that. And it's a, the beauty of neighborhood meal. What are we known for by our neighbors? Stay on the field. I think that's the first thing. Stay on the field. Are we on the battlefield, or have we retreated? Are we back in the bunker trying to stay safe? Or are we on the field trusting that God's going to protect us when we're under fire? And are we set apart by his word? He's gonna gonna shift his prayer. This is Jesus' prayer right before he's gone uh, for the first time. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Hold on, right there. There are not many verses that I will point to in the Bible and say that's talking about you, specifically. But I need you to see this morning that the night before jesus was executed he prayed for you you if you are somebody who has believed that jesus is the son of god he prayed for you verse 20 i do not ask for these only these eleven but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and i in you that they Jesus prayed for us and the thing that he said over and over is let they be let they be one let they be one let them be one i pray that they be one that they be unified why unity is a confirmation of jesus's deity jesus is a confirmation that jesus came from god did you see that in verse 21 that they may be one, Father, just as you are me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity is confirmation of Jesus' divinity, that he came from God. If, if there are people together in a room that are unified in spirit and in purpose and in love, that is a sign that there is something divine happening on the earth unity is confirmations of jesus divinity that jesus actually came from god he wasn't just another prophet peddling uh, philosophies he wasn't just a good teacher but he actually was the son of god that he said he was and then unity is confirmation this unity is confirmation of god's love for the world verse 23 did you see that i and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me we've already seen that and loved them even as you loved me. If Christians are unified, it's a sign not only that Jesus was from God, but that God loves them. And I don't think they know that. I grew up in church, and I don't think I really knew that. I I could say it. I, I knew the song, Jesus loves me. This I know. And it made my Sunday school teachers really happy when I sang it, but I don't know that I I knew it. But I don't know that I knew it. That God loves us. And and what is what is it evidence? What is confirmation that God loves the world when Christians are unified? And he says we're kept in the world. But it's not our final destination. I desire, verse 24, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. This is not our home. This is how he closes the night. You can see, Betrayal and Arrest of Jesus, chapter 18, is right there on the page. That's where we're going next, or that's where he is going next. But he closes with this prayer, with you on his mind, praying that we would be unified, that the world might know where he came from, and that he loved them, and loves them this day. Now, he... I want to rewind just a little bit and show it. If you're like, that's way too complicated. We went through a lot of verses. Let me give you one verse. You just need one verse. Let me give you one verse. And we're going to scroll back to John chapter 13. Now we're going back a couple of chapters, but this is in the same night. This is in the same discourse. So he prays to close, but this, but how he opens is he kneels down and he washes, um, he washes each other or he washes the disciples feet which would have blown their mind, and I don't have time to talk about that. If you want to hear more about foot washing, then join us for communion. We're doing the next one on November 5th. Put on your calendars. So John chapter 13, I'm going to read verse 31 through 35. When he had gone out, which is Judas, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, he's referring to a previous teaching, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples." By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not what radio station comes on when you turn on your car. It's not what your t-shirt says. Like, if you want people to know that you follow Jesus, the way that you let people know that you follow Jesus is you love somebody. We got to define love, but give me a minute. Like, that's the sign that's the sign this is the beginning of the same speech earlier in the same evening and here's a simple statement (laughs) by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another the invitation to our neighbors to trust jesus is notarized by our love for one another notary is somebody who just signs off that yes this is authentic they they weren't really a part of the contract they didn't write the contract they're not trying to edit the contract they just take the contract as is and say this is officially what the contract says and they sign off on it our invitation to our neighbors to trust jesus is notarized by our love for one another he doesn't he doesn't need us in order to be able to invite people to himself. But he chooses to use us in spite of ourselves as a notary for the work that he has already done in the world. So when we walk in the room, I've already asked, what, what are we known for by our neighbors? Like as we walk in the room, like almost like like clothing, you notice when somebody walks in dressed well. Some of you notice when I walk in with a wrinkled shirt. It's not me, but some of you. So what are we dressed in? How do our our neighbors recognize? And what do we have to take off? What do we need to take off in order to be dressed in love? So that when we walk in the room, the thing that everybody sees that we're clothed in is love for one another out of our love for God. What do we have to take off in order to be dressed in love? We journey together. We journey together. It's, it's a walk. It's a process. It's not easy. There are paved roads, and there are rocky roads, and there are places where we have to wander through the woods, through thorns and briars together because there is no path, and we have to go that way because that's the way our Savior is calling us. But we go together together. Church is more than just a place to attend. It's a family to belong to. And I am so overwhelmed this morning to just hear that for you, not for me. Before I even said a word about what we were talking about this morning, people were saying, I am so grateful for this family to belong to that supports me, whether I'm making coffee or doing Bible study, whether I'm listening to Christian music or Blink-182, because I'm meeting my neighbors where they're at and I'm trying to be dressed in Jesus' love. And he's like, that's the thing they will know that you love me if you love one another and I can't fabricate it guys there's a lot of things I've got control over as a pastor but that ain't it that's something I have begged that God would grow amongst us and, and hearing this week not just this morning but here in this week how you have cared for one another How you've gone out of your way to be a blessing. How you you have gone to somebody who had a problem that was not your own and lifted it just a little bit to say, I'm here with you in the pain. We journey together, we grow when we follow Jesus together. So how, how do we do it? <laughs> like, if we're just kind of starting off, this is the first time we're hearing it, like, what are the, what are the mechanisms? How do, we, how do we actually do that? I think Jesus has already given us the first step in John 17, verse 17. He says, the first step is to unity is to be set apart by the word. That if we're gonna love one another, we love one another in the way that the word prescribes that we love one another. And, and in one sense, the, and this is the difficulty of this message, in one sense this like idea that we love one another is like the thing for the whole rest of the book the difficulty isn't coming up with bible passages that try to illustrate how you should love one another The difficulty is picking one love god with all your heart soul mind and strength is the greatest commandment and the bonus one that you didn't ask for but you need to be reminded of is that you love your neighbor as yourself well who's my neighbor everybody. Everybody's your neighbor. But don't let that get off the hook. Like, oh, I just have to love everybody. I just need to float around in a cloud and and just exude love and affection for people. Like, No, like like love people. Not just everybody, but like your actual literal neighbor. Like the people who live on your street. The people in uh, your workplace. The people, the customers that come in with unreasonable requests. Like, how do, we, how do we love these people? How do we love our boss? How do we love, um, <laughs> how do we love family? <laughs> I shouldn't have looked this way. My sister's sitting over there. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry. Because that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? I'll look at these sisters. That's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Everybody's your neighbor and your literal neighbor. We used to say it this way. Who's in your community or sphere of influence? Who do you interact with who might listen to something you have to say? Love those people. Love people who are partners with you in ministry. You could probably look across the room and see them right now. And also, love people who are guests of our ministry. Love people who come in and they don't have a clue about anything that we got on the walls. They don't care at all about what we say our mission is. They don't really care that much about Jesus. They're just trying to figure out how to get fed or they're just trying to figure out how to have peace. They're coming in for selfish motives, but we meet them there and love them there because that's the sign that Jesus loves them. Because if we become a family that just loves each other well and we're all happy with our great big group hug, So much to the degree that when somebody tries to get in on the hug, they get caught with an elbow, then we're missing it. We are a family on mission to grow our family. The crazy thing is the Father has entrusted us with instructions to invite other people to be adopted into the family. I don't don't know of a worldly example of that, where somebody goes out and tries to convince people to be adopted by somebody else. But that's, that's literally what our job is. Here, uh, I, did a, I did a search, because I, I was curious at one point a couple of years ago. How does Jesus talk about discipleship? How does Jesus, like, describe his disciples? And the, the phrase, my disciples, only shows up four times in the New Testament. It only shows up four times in the biographies, where Jesus says, my disciples, no, this is one of them, my disciples, uh, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's one. The other ones, uh, or most of the other ones, are in Luke chapter 14, and it's related to our attachment to worldly comforts. My disciples are not attached to the comforts of this world, Um, and we'll talk about that in two weeks. But if we're asking, how do we love one another? We're not attached to the comforts of this life, but we instead show hospitality, If we don't have enough room at the table, we don't close the doors and lock them so nobody can get in, we make a bigger table. Or we get a different table in a different room. Or we get four people at the table to go home and open up their tables. We show hospitality to one another. We invite people to eat with us. (laughs) There's something about food that just makes conversation work better. And that might be the Southern Baptist coming out of me. That's how I grew up. But, like, there's something about eating together that is just like, yeah, I want to I wanna be with these people. I want to talk. So we show hospitality. And that's what I think about. Like, that picture, you know, the, 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 the classy lights. Like, this might be at Ms. Sharma's house. Like, it's really, really beautiful, beautiful setting. That's what I think about when I think of hospitality. But, but somebody uh, pointed out to me at some point that hospitality shares the same root for a different word that we use a lot. hospitality is not how we care for those people that we love that are like us that we already know but hospitality the true definition of hospitality is how we care for strangers those who are wounded and bleeding all over the place and lord help them because i can't do it all and our church i've said before our church is not a museum for people that have gotten their crap together I said, crap, I don't think I'm supposed to do that in the service. <laughs> but it's a hospital for people who are in need of a physician. And if I get to be an attending and point people to the great physician, then cool, but nobody gets mad at me if I'm sick because I need him just as much as we do. Serving as a doctor doesn't mean that I have mastered, perfected all illnesses. I can just describe them pretty good. So when we come together, we come together for healing under the great physician. We show hospitality to one another. Here's the problem, and I'll just, um, I'll just say this. I, again, the clock's out, so I don't know where we're at with time, but uh, there's something that happens um, because there's some people who are really excited about this message and like, yes, we need to show hospitality and to love people. I'm just going to go grab them and give them a big hug and I'm going to make sure that they know that I love them. And, and I, I love that because we're in the South and mamas are really great at that. But there's something else that that needs to happen if we're going to show hospitality. We need to also be able to receive hospitality. Because if you love people so much all the time, and never give them an opportunity to show you love in return, then you are, it does, it's, that's not the community that Jesus needs. If you're the one who's always, always, always given out, then you've made yourself God. <laughs> Sometimes we just have, in order to love people well, we say, I'm not going to fight you with, with you about this. I'm just going to let you take care of me today. We do it with one another, but we do it with God too. No, no, no. I, uh, let me sing you a song, Jesus. Let me, sing, let me praise. I just want to sing you a song. No, no, no. I don't want to hear the word back. I gotta, I'm just, it's cool. I, got, I gave you what I wanted to bless your heart. I don't need that. I'm just going to do my thing. And there's times where we'll look at our our, our brothers and sisters and say, no, 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 no. I don't want to be a burden. Here's the thing, guys. You're a burden. (laughs) Here's the thing, guys. I'm a burden. there's no way to exist within a community and not be a burden. Because the definition of love is that I meet your needs. And if I meet your needs, I meet your needs at cost to myself. And if it doesn't cost me anything, have I actually loved you? So if we're going to be a community defined by hospitality and love, that means not only going out of our way to just give people in the hook, because man, they need that, but that we also need to be able to step back and say, yeah, I just need it today. I just need it today. I don't want it. I really am uncomfortable with you seeing my stuff, but I just need it today. The problem is when we are hurting, we often try to drive away the people who would care for us. When we're hurting, we're like, no, 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 I don't need the the care. I don't need it. No, just it's fine. I'll just buckle down and take care of it. No, if we're hurting, we often try to drive those away who would care for us. And I'm not going to go tell you the whole story, but if you need an example of that, look at Ruth, chapter 1. The book of Ruth probably ought to be called the book of Naomi, because I think it's actually her story, but that's a different thing. But Naomi is like, her name means blessed. Her name means, means uh, I, actually, I don't know that that's true, but her name is a happy name. And she gets into the life and she says, no, don't call, me, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Because Mara means bitterness. And, and God has made me bitter. And there's times where people are like, hey, let me come, let me care for you. Can I just take care of that for you? I know it's not a lot, but let me do this little thing. And you're like, no,
1: leave me alone.
0: I want to be bitter all by myself. (laughs) I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And we'll close here. If I can find it. It's on page 1197. And just look at the page, 1197, just look at the page. Chapter 12, what's the heading? Chapter 12, what's the heading? Spiritual gifts. gifts. Chapter 14, what's the heading? Mine says prophecy in tongues. So those are specific spiritual gifts. So you've got uh, 12 spiritual gifts. And then 14, spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are blessings that God gives us to serve the body. In the context of how the body of Christ is supposed to work together, he drops this definition in chapter 13. I, if, I, the only time I hear this read is at weddings. And it's beautiful, and I love it. And I don't think that's an inappropriate place to read it. But that's not how he wrote it. He did not write this like thinking of white gowns in mind. He thought about church. As he was writing down instructions and a definition of love, he's he's not thinking of a husband and wife. He does that in other places. But here he's thinking about how we ought to love one another. We, one another, people we're not related to, people who are a different, uh, a different background than us, people who are different families, people who have different like values and how they take care of themselves. Like We should, as we come to Christ, love one another in this way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, So, as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So, what what is love? Love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This is eternal life, that they know God. Let's pray together. Jesus, again, um, there are things which are simpler to describe than they are to live. So Lord, I have endeavored this morning to proclaim your word, knowing that I myself am an imperfect Reflection of that. So, Lord, if there's something that I have said in this time together that has been distracting or unhelpful or untrue, simply my own opinion, God, I pray that those things would be quickly forgotten. But your word, I pray your word would stand fast in our hearts, that you would set us apart by what is true. not as a sledgehammer that we can sling around and crush other people but lord as a tool for healing that god as we come to the end of our ability to love that we would find you standing there beckoning us to draw from you to abide in you and as we abide in you to bear fruit And God, it's a miracle that only you can do. As I think through the mechanisms of what it means to be a family, to be a church, um, I just know (laughs) there's so many ways that we can go wrong. So, God, I don't pretend to have a, a mastery of what that looks like, but God, I do have a trust that you are able. I thank you for a glimpse in a, in a shadowy mirror this week of your goodness and the lives of your saints. And God, I just pray that you would fill us with a hope of a clear vision of your love for us. That God, you would fill us with that, that we would be uh, assured and confident of your great love for us, not because we've earned it, but simply because you were good, and God, you would then pour out your love to our neighbors, to the ones we're close to and the ones that we'd rather just get rid of. And we can't do it. We can't grit our teeth and, and, and power through it. God, we need your spirit to empower us. This morning, in these moments, would you help us to surrender to you? Would you do the hard work of shaping our hearts this day? It's in your name we ask. Amen.